You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to South Africa 99.94. I'm Neil Manthorpe. Langani Zama is my co-host. And uh, for all things South African cricket, this is your one-stop shop. We'll be with you three times a week, at least that's the target. And uh, sometimes we'll be talking topical news, breaking news. Sometimes we'll be speculating about the news that might be coming up. Other times we'll be answering some of your questions. Um, and, and that's exactly what uh, Lingani and, and I are going to do this time. Um, one thing that, uh, one question that I'm asked, and I know that <laughs> you're asked as well, um, is about South Africa's production line of international cricketers. Um, you, you know, you look at the, the Netherlands and, and Ireland and Scotland, and they all currently have South Africans in them. Um, but you look further afield, and New Zealand normally has a couple of South Africans as playing for them as well, as does England. Um, so, so that's a question that I'm asked often, Sam's. Why does South Africa produce so many international cricketers? And um, why don't they stay in South Africa? And why do they seem so keen to go off and, and ply their wares um, elsewhere for, for other countries? Uh, so it's a massively wide talking point. But just go for your opening comments first. Yeah, morning, Manners. Um, I think the one thing that South Africa is blessed with is a, a very, very good nursery of, of, of schools with a proud, I suppose, Anglo history, which, which leans into having rivalries with neighboring schools. And that rivalry is played out on, on the sports field in the summer, it's cricket in the, in the winter, it's rugby. And it becomes the, the focal point of, of conversation for generations, you know, your school is better than my school and my son is going to go and make sure that my school stays better than your school. And I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It's almost a conversation starter as you go in the workplace, when you go to a pub, when you go to a cricket ground, you're almost judged on the school that you've gone to. Um, it, it, it almost elevates your status. If you, if you, if you say a name that is familiar or respected in those circles, um, and it's part of the legacy. Um, and obviously, with that fierce competition, both in rugby and cricket, it's produced a caliber of cricketer that is is transferable, not just across South Africa, but around the world. Because this, even before you play first-class cricket, some of the hardest cricket and some of the fondest cricket you'll play is playing for your school. Um, I went to, to Marisburg College, which when I got there in 97, Kevin Peterson was not even in the first team. He was he was in the second 11 for the first half of the year and then a very good spinner by the name of Cairns emigrated to New Zealand. And we've never heard of Cairns since, funny enough. But he was a prodigious spinner, uh, went at sort of two runs and over every game, took wickets, just exceptional. And Kevin Peterson couldn't get a look in as a spinner, never mind as one of the best batsmen England have ever produced. Um, well, South Africa produced for England, should I say? But it's 
you know, it's, it's from there. You suddenly follow and you go back and you go, jeepers, he couldn't even make Marysburg College first team initially. And he's eventually gone on to be what he is. And that's a second team cricketer who's gone on and played 100 times for England, captained England, won series, you know, defined the way the game is played in a sense. But for the majority of his cricket career at school, there were others who were better than him. And that just shows you the caliber of cricket that is produced consistently on Saturdays around South Africa. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing in, in, in one sense. But obviously, like you said, a lot, of, a lot of players don't have the patience or the means to hang around and wait for an opportunity to come knocking. So if other countries who don't have the rich school cricket legacy are waiting and pleading for talent to come and boost their cricket, whether it's a major nation or a developing nation. There's a lot of South Africans playing in Namibia where I've just been. At the end of the day, it serves the game. Um, and I think we've got to be realistic, just like good South African doctors and lawyers and accountants find themselves in New York and London and Bangkok or wherever else lawyers and doctors go. It's the same applies for cricket. It's a skill that's in demand. And if there's a surplus where you come from, you pack your bags and, 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 and find find a home somewhere else. It's interesting. I mean, it's only Sri Lanka that compares, um, to my mind, when you talk about cricketers and their um, their formative years, uh, you know, um, whether somebody went to Candy College or St. Joseph's in Sri Lanka. Um, it's similar, you know, in your part of the world, in, in KZN, KwaZulu-Natal, um, you're in Michael House or, or Hilton um, which of course Lungani, uh, which um, Lungingidi Hilton, Lungingidi yes. <laughs> Lungani Zama. I was going to say you didn't. You went to Hilton, boy. You were a marriage boy. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's it's really interesting, isn't it? And there's this perception um, amongst uh, like English, I, I suppose, that it's it's just sort of slightly weird that you know that you and I would say, oh, he's a St John's boy, or he went to. Um, uh, he's a Weinberg boy, which is Jacques Callis's school, or you know. Um, uh, so, um, but it is it, it's vital, isn't it? And so the sort of perception that uh, you know we're talking about posh boys' private schools, um, and they were very exclusive, literally exclusive. They excluded the majority of the country. They're trying very hard to become more inclusive now. Um, and so the subject of scholarships is a fascinating one. Um, because inherently you you can't say that they're bad, that they're a bad idea. But is there a possibility that they actually, by offering a small number of scholarships to boys and girls who wouldn't otherwise have had the means to attend one of those private schools, that they will actually uh, maintain their exclusivity? Yeah, I mean, it's a fine line. If, if you go to one of these schools, uh, even as a visitor... You walk around and the facilities are better than some of our first-class facilities, maybe even some of our international facilities. So you can see where the money goes and you can understand the exclusiveness of some of these schools and and why it's such an aspirational thing. And obviously, as South Africa's economy has, I won't say balanced out, but changed more and more, the middle class is sort of growing and, 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 and parents of all races are able to afford to send their kids to slightly better schools where they can and, and those who still get scholarships get scholarships. You can see the face of these schools changing um, 
and, and, and you can see the energy changing, but obviously the price won't change. In fact, it's gone even higher. Um, and it, it's, it's, I don't think you can force a private school to, to go back to, to, to some sort of affordability. The, the only way you can get in if you don't come from a home that can afford it is, is your, 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 your sporting talent. And, and more and more kids across South Africa have found that path. And, and look, from Alungingidi to the current generation who are in these schools, um, I know you spoke about Jacques Cullis. He, he had a foundation which has put a lot of boys, not all of them have gone on to play first-class cricket, but has, has given opportunities to boys uh, across South Africa to go to prestigious schools, not always private, but even you know esteemed government schools who have a proud history of cricket and change their lives. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge that it does. It does change lives. Initially, the the, the first bachelor, the likes of Makai and Tini, found it hard because it was so different and and so lonely in a way that it it was you know a real challenge to 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 fit in. The only time you fit in was on a Saturday when you play sport and you stand head and shoulders because you bowl faster than everyone else or you run faster than everyone else. So you're the hero on Saturday. But Monday to Friday is is a very lonely experience because the language and the culture and the access to disposable income and, you know, people come back and compare holidays. So that side of it is, is still, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. But in terms of providing South African sport with options every year, it's, 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 it's a relentless conveyor belt. And, and you know, our, our school sports system is, is more competitive than ever. You know, Supersport, one of the biggest products, uh, production companies in the world is as literally gone in and called a product super sport schools and streams because of just how much attention there is on sup- on schools in South Africa specifically. And you can see it, you, you know, there's, there's sometimes more attention given to school matches, big derby days than, than a first class cricket match or even a rugby match. There's a bigger crowd and there's, there's almost a better atmosphere sometimes. And that just shows you the, the relevance, the enduring relevance from from old boys or, or scholars who've gone there before, to what it means now, because you know that it's this launching pad to to something bigger, um, and so you've got to acknowledge the crucial role that it plays in developing young South Africans who are hardened and competitive, maybe too competitive sometimes, but you can't fault what what it's produced in terms of the intensity of sportsmen and women across South Africa over the years. So big picture, um, you look at the amount of money that Cricket South Africa has spent on development programmes, and, and I think that, uh, I'll be brutally honest, I think that there's been sometimes too much of a of a political correctness about those development programmes. I think they've concentrated more on numbers rather than on talent identification. Um and there are parts of every country, not just South Africa, but Cricket South Africa felt that, you know, everybody, everybody must play cricket. Everybody loves cricket in the same way, in the same numbers, and there's the same heritage of cricket in, in all over the whole country. And it's, it's, just, it's just not true. I mean, there are parts of Brazil that, uh, where beach volleyball is more popular than, than soccer. Um, there are parts of Pakistan where hockey is the game, not, not cricket. Um, so I think that hundreds and hundreds of millions of rand have been spent unwisely 
not maliciously, but I mean, with the right intentions, but unwisely in terms of, of development. So given that there are, I don't know what the number is, 30, 40 private schools um, that, that have fantastic turf wickets and brilliant cricket facilities. And and if you said that each one of those schools maybe produced one cricketer of first-class ability every year, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that, that, that they would do that, such are the standards. Already you've got an oversupply by about 100%. Um, so already you've got Curtis Camphor and Brad Wheel and and all these guys going off and playing for, for Scotland and Ireland. So how do you streamline the system to, to make the best use of this structure that is already there rather than, see, here's the problem. It, 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 like you said, Lungi and Gidi says, that's all very well that I went to Hilton, one of the most exclusive schools in the country, but I want the game to be taken to everybody, to the townships former township so but that's expensive and it's and it's a very um sort of hit and miss process so what do you have any idea at all about what the the answer might be it's such a a, a difficult and layered answer it, it it's a great question but i mean the reality is the expense is one thing and like you say there've been hundreds and hundreds of millions spent on development and putting up pitches and opening up fields and, you know, cutting ribbons to say we are putting cricket in this community because it needs it. But if you haven't asked the community if it actually needs it more than it needs another school, you're throwing that money, you know, with the best intentions, you're throwing that money down the drain because the, once you've got the money, you've then got to have the commitment. And with the commitment, you're then going to have the competition, the thing that makes these schools, these elite schools thrive is, is not just the facilities and, and the access to financial, you know, pockets that did last forever. It, there's a sense of competition around them every year that makes it aspirational. So from, you know, we spoke about Kevin Peterson playing second team cricket at the beginning of his final year of high school. How intense is that process if an international quality player like him is playing second team for a fair chunk of his best years at school? It's relentless. And every year people come in with the sole purpose of, I want to wear this first team cap that my father wore 20-odd years ago. I want to... There's an aspirational quality there that if, if you do not perform this week, and it's more intense than first-class cricket where people are paid and there's only 20 in a squad, so you rotate within... You, you know, there's, there's, when we're matched with college, when you're under 14 and there's 220 of you who've come from all your different schools and you're here in your primary school and you think you're going to come in and play 14 A's at Marysburg College. And you get there. The first time I played, I played for the under 14 D's. And it's a blow. But it, 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 it says to you, jeepers, the standards are so much higher. You've got to step up. And you step up. And the next week you take five wickets or you make 100 and you jump from the D's to the B's. But someone in the A-team has made 300s in a row in the exact same position that you play. So it's, it's, it's one thing throwing money and putting facilities and giving clubs that say they're struggling. But you've, it's almost a culture that you've got to create of, of competition and pushing each other because that's what makes good cricketers, not the best kit. You know, the, the very best players. Macaantini was shoeless when he, you know, 
he was playing on facilities just based on talent. It wasn't that he had the best Adidas spikes in the world. It was talent. It's raw talent, and you can't buy that. And you can throw all the money you want, but if if you don't have the competition around you to push you to be better, you're not going to be better. And 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 that's why so many of these development programs have failed because people think if we spent enough money on it, it's going to be okay. Someone is going to somehow magically emerge. It's not. You know, cricket is. It's like music. It's it's a skill that's given to you, and you hear a cover drive or you hear. You see someone bowl and they run in with the athleticism of a Lungi or a KJ Rabada and it looks effortless and it looks different from everyone else. And he stands out not, not because he's had access to three great meals a day and the best laid wickets since Stithians. It's just a natural talent. And then you find those and those diamonds, you polish them. And the part of the polish is playing in a system where every single time you turn up at practice, there's people trying to be better than you. They're pushing you all the time. Not some development coach who's doing it to get a salary because he's been put there because this is how we change cricket. It's, and it sounds ruthless, but it, it really isn't. And, and that's why so many of these programs have failed and you go back to them and the nets have been torn apart and the, the carpet that was the AstroTurf has been rolled up and is now in someone's home. It's not for a lack of a love. There is love for cricket in every single community in South Africa, but is it in strong enough numbers to then take those who love it and, and make them better cricketers every day? Not necessarily. So you've got to, you know, you sort of got to zoom in and really find those and put them in spaces that are going to make them better every day. Otherwise, you're going to waste money and you're going to turn around five, ten years later and say, we've spent a billion rand, but we've only produced one cricketer from this development program somehow. And his last two years were spent at an elite school anyway. What are we doing wrong? You touched on the cultural side of things. And I mean, I remember being feeling very awkward and very embarrassed um, about <clears throat> the history of some of these schools um, and, and how awkward and difficult it was when guys like Micaiah um, were given a scholarship to, um, was he Selborne or Gray? I always get them mixed up. Dale. Dale, Dale. sorry, Selborne or Dale. Yeah. Gosh, um, and you know the, I mean, the, the, like like many of these schools, it was founded a hundred years ago by white men, um, colonial British white men, and and so it's all very well saying um, this guy who was uh, looking after goats in the Mdingi um, is actually uh, potentially a brilliant cricketer. Let's give him a scholarship. Now, I mean, he he was a pioneer, of course, Makaya was, and and things are changing. And there is certainly in the Eastern Cape, isn't there? There's uh, there's a, a a real beginning of anyway um, a genuine move to try and change the culture of those schools. But but they they were all established over a hundred years ago. Um, so the I always thought thought that development money would be better spent on areas like I don't know Kyle Each Creek Club in the Western Cape and 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 in the Eastern Cape also in KZN. And I just thought that. Yeah, so a bit of both, perhaps, is the answer. You know, keep those scholarships going, change the the culture slowly of these um, private elite schools because they are brilliant uh, producers of of rugby and 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 uh, and and cricketers, rugby players and cricketers. But but then spread a little bit more wisely, discerningly. Yeah, yeah. Literally, the adage "less is more" in this case is true. Because if you if you if you spend it on almost less locations, but you spend it better on the locations where you know 
there is a culture. The Eastern Cape, I mean, there's there's been a, a cricket festival in the Eastern Cape that's over 100 years, played between villages, playing for meat. Um, but more than playing for prize money or, or, or meat or anything else, the, the play for the pride of saying we rule the Eastern Cape. And and, and it's, it's the same as, as, as schools and, you know, Hilton Michaelhaus every year. Old boys from across the world tune in just to say, Hilton is better than my class this year. That competition in the Eastern Cape, um, I remember Makaya telling me about it 20 years ago. Amakala Ekusha, which literally means the, you know, the, the half of a sheep. And that's, he, he tells the story as a 13 year old kid and they, they would, they, they would literally play that. That was the, the trophy. I don't know whether he was, um, using a bit of artistic license, but um, I'm, I, I think his first memory was of the of the sheep actually <laughs> being alive and tied to a stake, um, and the yep. winning team would would then slaughter it and and they would cook the meat and and share it amongst themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like winning two million dollars for winning a T Twenty tournament, and you share it evenly amongst the players. <laughs> In you know, with the lack of, of of money, you you put a prize that is going to matter to the people. But the far bigger prize is, 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 is the cricketers that is produced. A lot of our very best black cricketers come from that tournament, come from that legacy of either starting just watching when you didn't have access to the schools that so many more now have. You sit and you watch people in your village who become your, your heroes and you see them and you want to grow and one day play and, and represent your village and and win it for them because – it's the closest at that point that you could be to being a hero, uh, aspiring for something, working towards something at the end of each year that you're going to be celebrated wildly for. So, I mean, it's it's there, but you take that and you juxtapose it with private schools. It's the same. It's a level of competition where you look to the person next to you and you say, I want to beat you. And that instills a, a pride and a, uh, an ethic, which it's not surprising Makaya touched, you know, the heights that he touched even before Dale College he was instilled with this sense of I'm good at this and I think I'm better than the next person. So whenever I get the chance, I'm going to show that I am. And then if you then take him to a Dale college, which accelerates the, the, the sort of neatness of the game, if you will, and, and, and gives you a, a, a coach who's going to work on your action because you jump sideways because you didn't, you had spikes and you couldn't jump on the AstroTurf. Then they streamline your action for you and maybe say, before you didn't bat because you just said you didn't have equipment so you don't bother batting. Now they, they, they give you a bowling machine every Friday and you develop some sort of technique. That's what the schools who have the facilities do. But the talent is the talent. That was bred in Dinghy Village long before any master of sport at Dale College touched Makayantini. But it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> you need competition. And, and and maybe too many of the people who, who run who have run sport period in South Africa don't understand that all the money in the world is not going to put deep in your heart, that sense of competition and rivalry and personal pride. That's going to say, I want to be the best, not because someone has given me a t-shirt and a burger for the day. I want to be the best. I'm hungry to actually be the best cricketer that this area has produced or this country has produced. That's within. And, and, and we spent a lot of money on trying to get, many more cricketers 
it should rather be spent on those cricketers who already have aspirations that matches their talent and making sure that we rinse out every bit of talent in them because that's how you build champions. You you you, you tap into the best and, and, and you show them that they're excellent. And cynically, that's what scholarships do. They they, they look look around and say, oh, Lungingidi shows promise. Temba Bavuma shows promise. Where he's playing right now, he might hit the ceiling and not never play cricket again and there are those stories that are out there who are people who were far better than those who've then gone on to be international cricketers because their access to funding and transport and opportunity hit a ceiling before they were 18. So they just stopped. But you imagine if they had the facilities of a prestigious school and the coaching and, and the time to just get it right, how much better they would be. So, I mean, for all the talent that we have in our teams and the great stories, there's so many more that have been lost along the way. That's why I remain optimistic about South African cricket. I mean, you know, you know, England has exactly the same problem. It's also they, they don't their state schools don't play um, fewer and fewer play um, play cricket because um, the playing fields have been sold off uh, to developers, and uh, it's it's becoming more and more of an elite game. Um, and uh, and and there are fewer. Um, Private schools in the UK, I'm, I'm not saying this with a great deal of confidence, but I've been told it. I don't, I mean, I've been told it enough by English um, cricket lovers and, and English journalists. They say that, you know, that there are more elite schools with magnificent facilities and there is obviously more sunshine in South Africa as well. Um, and so the production line in South Africa is still, I think, extremely strong. Um, and they will always be overproducers and therefore net exporters of first-class cricket. So while we are concerned uh, from time to time about the form of the national team, and uh, and you know it was very disappointing to lose the Test series, I always say that you know that there are as long as you have facilities, good weather, and a desire to play the game, then. Um, there will be ups and downs, peaks and troughs, but um, unless unless the the IPL starts having first choice um, rather than the national team, which they look like they will do, um, I'm still optimistic that there will be enough good players. The, the concern to for a competitive national team, the concern is that they once they get to the national team, then they <laughs> the next level is IPL. <laughs> Above the national team, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, it, even within these, you know, this the school debate and, and and the relentless talent that South Africa produces, you, you think of a, a Vernon Philander who who didn't go to an elite school. Um, so the onus in 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 the absence of everyone being able to go to a great school, the onus is is, is having the scouts that that can root out talent wherever it's hidden. I mean. We'd never heard of Vernon Philander, but we were the same age. And I remember playing against him in an under-19 three-day game. Um, and again, that's another big part of the nursery that produces great cricketers is that as you finish school, certainly when we played, there was a big, big emphasis on, on, on teaching youngsters who were coming through and being bred on 50-over cricket to play time cricket and play three-day matches and, and, and start understanding that it takes a whole day sometimes to make a hundred instead of twenty overs, and Vernon Philander comes out of Ravensmead and just 
made you feel absolutely clueless because there's a there's an ego that comes with going to a good school. You think it elevates you to a certain point and you're better than others. And I think there's been bias in terms of selection for many teams where great players or very good players, promising players from lesser known schools are overlooked for somebody because they've gone to the right school. They, they'll, they'll shortly deliver. And Vernon, somehow through the system, Western Province kept him in the system. And at 19, you could see that this guy just does things with the ball that make you look stupid. And it wasn't a surprise when he was, you know, the star in Australia being bowled out for 47, hooping it both ways because he just had it. And, you know, whoever found him and kept him in the system, those are the true gems because they do the hard work. They do the hard yards. It's easy to sit at my class and watch talent upon talent. But when you can go to these communities and, and see a talent like that and make sure that the system doesn't lose him, that's when, you, you know, that's when a system thrives and, and continues to grow. So the stories are there. You know, the, the, the stories are there and you hope that they keep on emerging and, and you hope that the likes of a Vernon are put in the system because they know what it takes and they know where to look because they were there themselves. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a very, very hard job. Um, the, the vast majority of South African cricketers, national team players come from the big schools because it's just easier to earmark them early and, and keep them. Um, so the real work comes when you've got to go far, far away. Um, I'm I'm going down memory lane here, but you you know Yusuf Abdullah yes. was um, a very good friend of mine, and he Terry Jenner had a clinic in a leg spinning clinic in KZN many moons ago, and the week before Terry Jenner came, there was almost a trial for the best spinners around KZN inland region, which is where I was from, Marysburg, and. His coach in Dundee realized that this was the only opportunity for him to be sort of given a bigger spotlight. He's not a risk spinner by any means. But he took Yusuf Abdullah and he brought him to the net session that was going to determine who's going to go and bowl at this Terry Jenner clinic. And, I mean, he's rocked up and marked out a run-up 10 times longer than anyone else's, and we're all looking <laughs> going, this is a risk spinner's clinic. Why is this guy here? And then he's bowled two balls and the coaches have gone, well, we know it's a Rispinus clinic, but this guy needs to be put in the system because cheapest. He can bowl. And a couple of years later, he was in the academy with us. And again, if, 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 if that coach hadn't said, well, this is the only way that I'm going to move this kid from Dundee into the big time, so I'm just going to go and wing it because that's the only way I'm going to show it. You know, so there's, there's these incredible stories. And suddenly he's playing in the IPL when we hosted it here in 2009 and played for South Africa with, you know, people that are household names and everyone's looking going, where the hell has Yusuf Abdullah come from? But the backstory of it is, is someone realizing that we've got to have to be a bit creative here because there's no path from Dundee to Mumbai Indians except going and sort of, you know, being creative with it. And, 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 and that's what happens when you don't go to the, to the prestigious school. So, Long may that cavalier spirit of, of, of coaches who, who can see that someone needs a leg up, you know, because that's, that's what breeds these cricketers that come from all corners.
Fantastic stuff. It's something that uh, we'll talk a lot more about in the future, touch on. But that's enough uh, of uh, a little delve into South African uh, uh, sports history for now, for the moment. Um, so uh, do ask uh, Zams or myself um, any questions you, that uh, you feel like you can get in touch with us on a whole variety of platforms. But uh, for now, thanks for listening to South Africa on 99.94 Cricket Every day, please rate, review and subscribe. Uh, you can download the 99.94 app and uh, follow us personally on at Neil Manthorpe and at Whamzam17. Whamzam. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> right. You can follow us personally. Um, uh, we'll put links up on everything we do there and on this podcast and beyond. So uh, follow our network uh, at 99.94 DM on social media. Follow for podcasts and commentary from the bat and ball world. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. We speak cricket. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with Breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with Breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with Breslow the business of sports betting podcast